Have your Bibles turned to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. I want to start the service this morning, the, the message this morning, with two questions. And uh, I think there are questions that we probably have asked ourselves in the past, or maybe a question we may be even considering today. Have you ever wondered why it is that things that seem obvious to you appear to be not so obvious to those who live apart from God's Word? Have you, ever, have you ever sat there and asked yourself that question? I, I mean, looking at the news, hearing people's opinions, uh, it's just amazing. How, it's like, well, it doesn't, sometimes it's not even logical what they come up with. Here's another one. Have you found yourself, even though you were saved, at times falling back into your old life, into your old ways of living? You see, these are things that Paul is going to be addressing in the verses that we're going to be looking at today here in Ephesians chapter 4. So, so if you will, go ahead and look on your outline, look at the introduction. Paul in these verses is challenging those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have been saved, those of us who have partaken of salvation, to live a transformed life which should be radically different from our previous tragic life. Now, in these verses, Paul is going to demonstrate that salvation is not a matter of improving what had previously existed, but he's talking about something called total transformation. So, so it's not something in which when we come to know Christ, we, we try to fix up what's there, try to do a better job. Paul doesn't present salvation like that. You can go to the book of Romans and see that in the extended version. The way Paul gives us uh, this whole idea of salvation is this whole idea of transformation. It's not cleaning up something that was already there. It's that becoming something else. And that's the way it's always presented in the scriptures. So Paul is creating a contrast here in Ephesians chapter 4. So, so look on your outline. The tragic life is founded in the culture. Look at chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 17. He says, this I say therefore, he's referring back to what we studied last week, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now, what he's doing here, when he says no longer, it implies that change is an identifiable mark of a Christian. You're no longer back here. You're over here now. Something has radically changed. You've moved from something to something else. That's the whole point of salvation. When he says Gentile here in this context in verse 17, it is a reference to the Greek culture or in our case, a reference to the world. And of course, it go, what goes with that? It's philosophies, it's perspectives, it's systems of greed, it's behaviors. And what's so ironic about that is Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, when it says conformed, I told you this before, it literally means don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. So many people, that's happened to them. And that's the reason they've become deceived. That's the reason they're living a life that's not real, a life that's not fulfilling. It's because they've allowed the, the world to create who they see, how they see themselves, how they view the world itself. And Paul says, don't be conformed to that. Don't let it squeeze you into its mold. So, so look on your outline. The tragic life founded in the culture is all about conformed living, which leads to emptiness. Emptiness. This was the whole theme, and I've told you this before, of the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon 
had access to everything the world offered at the time in which he lived. Everything. I mean, I mean I'm talking everything that could be experienced. Solomon saw to it that he experienced those things. I mean, from, the, from probably the most vilest of immorality all the way to what creation offered and everything. And he came away. He came away. His whole scenario, when he summed it all up, here's what he said. It led to emptiness. It still didn't meet what my soul desired and needed. He said it was empty. You see, in, in Ephesus, Paul's writing a letter and it will go to Ephesus. And Ephesus at the time in the first century was very pagan. I told you this as we introduced the whole subject of, of the book of Ephesians. The temple of Diana was there. And much wealth uh, was, was in the city. And the temple of Diana, the way they worshiped was through prostitutes and, and sexual immorality and all these things that were going on. And so these were people who came face to face with, with how vile a person can become. And it wasn't just what the temple Diana was offering. Ephesus was a very wealthy place. Very wealthy people lived there. And it seemed, even though they had all these things available to them, even though they experienced all the things that the flesh desired that was available to the flesh, it all came out empty on the other side. Y'all, we live in a world, listen, we live in a society here in the U.S. of A. in which it offers everything. How many of you have noticed that? From the vilest of evil all the way to, to just do, trying to do good. I mean, we've got the whole scheme here. But let me tell you this. Apart from Christ and the perspective of truth, apart from that, it will all lead to emptiness. Just as King Solomon said about his world. Verse 17. Let's look at it again. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk with the rest, as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Futility literally means emptiness. So when he says Gentile walk, he's talking about daily living. Don't walk as, as those who, who make up the world. Don't walk like them. Don't walk, don't, don't let your, and then he says this, in the futility of their minds. It means that their actions and behaviors are born in a flawed mind. The word futility refers to that which fails to produce a desired result. Now think about that. The world offers all these things. You go after it. You reach for it. You embrace it. You bring it into your life. Guess what? According to what Paul was saying and what King Solomon said thousands of years earlier, here's what it says. He said it all leads to emptiness. It does not satisfy. It may for a moment, but in the end, and Paul tells us this, it leads to destruction and the worst types of, of, of emptiness. He, it's the whole idea. Futility is a whole idea that something literally amounts to nothing. It leads to emptiness, ruin, frustration, and even hopelessness. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes these words. Beware lest anyone cheat you or fool you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men. According to the basic principles of the world. And not according to Christ. He's saying, be aware of those things. How many of you, let me ask you a simple question. How many of you have bought into what the world has offered? Maybe it comes to an, uh, an action that they say you got to experience. Or, or maybe that whole idea of a mindset that you've taken. How many of you have actually in the past have taken that on? Let's just admit it. Yeah, most of us in the room and the rest of you are lying. But anyway, <laughs> we've done that. Let me ask you a question. Did it lead to what you thought it was going to lead to? 
Never does, does it? Promises all these things, but doesn't deliver. That's what Paul is telling us here. Based on who we are in Christ, we should not fall prey to the enticements of our culture by conforming to its desires and wishes. It all leads to emptiness, futility. Next, the tragic life which is founded in the culture produces a darkened understanding. It leads to bewilderment. Now, now I'll help you out a little bit today. Bewilderment means to cause to become lost. It literally means to be utterly perplexed. It's a whole idea that in your understanding, you thought that it would be this, but instead of it being this, you're perplexed because it's not what you thought it was. Something is, is amiss. Something's wrong. You see, in the context of the mind, it means not capable of understanding due to a loss of proper perspective. Not capable of understanding uh, from an improper uh, perspective. Now, look at verse 18. Look at what he says. Having their understanding darkened. He's talking about those. He's saying, don't walk as the Gentiles. Don't walk according to the world. He's saying, here's what you need to understand about it. It leads to the futility of their mind. And through it, there's a darkened understanding. Something is amiss. Listen to this. Fallen mankind has an inability to know and comprehend the things of God. The Bible says that over and over and over again. The, the, the fallen mind. If I go, if I try to approach God with just the mind that I have here that, that is fallen, and how many of you agree that your mind's fallen? It doesn't take long to step into the flesh to realize that, right? But, but the thing that we need to understand, it's incapable of understanding because perspective is lost. Let me give you the proof behind it all. Look at uh, John chapter one here on the screen. The Bible says, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. It was there, light was there, but the darkness didn't know what to do with it. Here, here's another one, 1 Corinthians chapter two. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. There are certain things that will only make sense to us if it, if, unless it comes by the Spirit. Unless the Spirit reveals these things to us. Here's another one, Proverbs chapter 4. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Now, now think about the sad state that verse is talking about. It's talking about someone who's bought into the culture. It's talking about someone who, whose mind is, is futile. It's, it, it, everything that they're doing leads to emptiness. It speaks of a mind that can't quite get there and it's proper understanding what needs to do. And, and, and then, here's the worst part of all, and the person is sitting there and all these things are happening to them and they, they don't have a clue as to how it's happening and some of them are even, not even aware that it's happening. That's the reason we need to have compassion for the lost. We need to, we need to want to have desire to, that they be reached. It's because of their condition. Listen, they live in deception. When it says understanding darkened, it implies ignorance and the immorality that is born from that ignorance. Now, here's the worst part of it all. The verb tense of the phrase also indicates that it's a continuing action. A continuing action. It's an action that continues throughout their lifetime unless something happens. It's the picture that we have here. 
So this phrase, understanding dark, uh, darkened, tells us why the lost, listen, tells us why the lost are capable of believing and proclaiming lies as truth. How many of you ever sat back and listened to the world speak and think, man, that's a lie. That is a lie. Let me just tell you about the lost world and the fallen mind and the futility of the mind and the darkened understanding. It's not capable of, of, of finding true truth. <laughs> and so when the lies are presented as fact or the lies are presented as truth, and, and it's not, listen, these people are not just out there saying stuff. The lost believes it. They believe it. They crusade with these type of things. They bought in. Not only that, they're also capable of declaring immorality as morality. Fully capable of that. Their understanding is darkened means it is flawed. The reason they look at God's word, which is truth, and cannot comprehend it is because they're coming from a flawed disposition. Now listen, I'm not here trying to be cruel to that whole mindset. I'm not trying to be cruel to that. Listen, every one of us were there before we came to know Christ. We were in the same company. And now, because of what Christ has done in our lives, it has changed. We are capable of comprehending. Next, the tragic life founded in the culture produces an alienated existence, which really leads to spiritual death. You know what's interesting about sin and the promise of sin? is It not only leads to something that, that, that doesn't deliver, it leads to loneliness and isolation, not only from God, but from those around it. How many of you have seen where your sin has isolated you from those that you love the most? It does that. It's very lonely. That's the reason I think you see a lot of suicide. The world has a lot to offer when it comes to evil. And there's a lot of people who are buying in, who are moving in that, in, according to the, the fact that their, their understanding is darkened and they're going. And guess what? What they thought was such promise does not deliver. And as a result, they're alienated. They feel like they're all by themselves. The people that I talk to that are in sin, that, that, that come to me and they acknowledge it, they say they're so lonely. They're so lonely because it alienates not just with God, but with others. Let's look at, look at what it says in verse 18. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. When it says from the life of God, here's what it means. Without the life of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the natural man is spiritually dead. Dead to the things of God, listen, and dead to the life that he desires them to have. Not only dead to God, but dead to, to what he desires for them. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 1. I want to show you something. Romans chapter 1. Hold your place here. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Now, so if, if they're dead to God, then their lives are driven, listen, by their passions, their desires, and by their flesh. Paul talks about this. He says, let me tell you where all this leads to in Romans chapter 1. He's going to tell us. He's going to tell us where it leads to. So Romans chapter one, I want you to look at verse 26. Okay, look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave him up to vile passions. You, you know what it says? You know what the reason was? They kept wanting to go there. 
They, they kept wanting that. They, they thought that's something that they wanted, and they kept going there and kept going there. Even though it didn't lit, deliver, they still wanted to go there. Gets worse. For this reason, God gave them to their, up to their vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, turned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and perceiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, here's what happened. They were so caught up in all this that they're, the, even the thought of God, they didn't want to go there. Isn't it amazing how every one of us have, have at least some type of view of God? I mean, even the atheist. The atheist denies there's a God. But boy, if you really break them down, they come to some kind of, there is a creator. They, you break them down far, far enough down, they, logically they have to come to that reason, rationale. But here's what's interesting. He's talking about these are people, they, they don't want to think about the knowledge of God because guess what? They're, they're far removed from it. So God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. They kept wanting to go there, kept wanting to go there. And God said, okay, go. Goes on. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, trustworthy, unloving, forgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Now before we're too hard on those who are living this life, here, let me once again remind you, we were all there at one point or the other in our life. This described us before we came to Christ. Some of you are looking at the list saying, no, I don't know, I did all that. If you did one, you did all, according to the, tech, to, the, to the understanding. The Bible says, there is none righteous, there is no not long, for all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Missed the point in one point, missed it all. But here's what's interesting, verse 32. Who knowing the righteous judgment, judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. You know, I've known Romans chapter one for a long time and I've never picked up on what ver the last part of verse 32 has said. I went, as a matter of fact, I discovered it this week. I went through the office telling everybody, did you know this is in there? Do you know what this is saying? Listen, even though we don't practice these things, if we approve of these things, we're guilty. If we approve of these things, if we celebrate these things, we find ourselves guilty. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. You see, the futility of their mind and their understanding darkened, darkened leads to spiritual death and, as I said, alienation from God. But it doesn't stop there. It gets worse. Look on your outline. The tragic life founded in the culture produces a rationalized stupidity. Now, I know young kids tell us we shouldn't say stupid. But I couldn't reject, I couldn't, I, could, I had to put this in there because it's really where it leads to. It, it is, which leads to fantasy and not reality. Look at verse 18, Ephesians chapter 4. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The ignorance that's in them. 
Someone has said before, someone has said this, before a person receives Christ, they are adrift on life's stormy seas without a compass, a rudder, or an anchor. That is so true. Before you come to Christ, you're just, you're, you're, the wind can determine, the culture can, it can take you anywhere it wants to take you. Because of the deception, because of the ignorance, there's no awareness of who God is, and it can do all that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look on your outline. Look here on the screen. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what this, these verses are telling us is this. There are certain things that we battle as people that we can't fight them in the flesh. We can't fight them in our natural man. It takes God's intervention to fight some of the things that we find ourselves in. And some of the things that we find ourselves in are something called strongholds. Strongholds, listen. A stronghold is something in which we make an agreement towards wickedness or evil or, or something that's apart from God. We make an agreement with, with it. We, 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 we go into it. We, that's where we are. It almost defines who we are. There's a whole culture that going on right now in our society. And they bought into it in such a way that it is a stronghold. Listen, their only hope, I'm a firm believer in this, the only hope that they have of coming out of that is a move of God in their life. Is the spirit intervening in them? Because that's what it's telling us. He says this, how do we do this? Casting down arguments. If you have a King James Version Bible, it says casting down imaginations. Let me tell you what that is. That's fantasy. It's the whole idea of losing touch with reality. They're living in a fantasy world. They're living in such a way in which they think, they've convinced themselves if, if they could just have this, they could be fulfilled, they could be complete, everything would make sense if they just had this. What the scripture is saying here is this, that that is fantasy. Apart from God, it'll never make sense. It will lead to ruin, it will be empty, it will not be fulfilling. It may for a while, but not in the end. He goes on. He says, casting down arguments, those are imaginations or fantasy, and every high thing, the thing that we, we, we exalt itself against the knowledge of God. So basically what we're doing is we choose to believe this, which is a fantasy or imagination, over what God tells us. And so what we're doing is we're placing that over God. Now let me just tell you this. Before we're so hard on those who don't know Christ, we're capable of doing that as Christians and believers. Did you know that? We're capable of doing that. We know the truth. We just choose to believe the truth over God's word. And so we, we take it and we, we move it. Up. Man, we, we, you're talking about something leading to destruction. So, so everything that we, we, and then he says this. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Here's what we've got to do. When it comes to that stronghold in our life, that fantasy that we're living, the thing that we think we just got to have, if we all of a sudden exalt it above, let's say, above God, okay, then, then here's what's going to happen. God is going to work in our life. As a believer, I don't think God's going to allow you to stay there. How many of you believe that? No, I don't think he's going to allow you to stay there through forms of conviction, through forms of what he works out in your life. His goal is to bring you back under the obedience of Christ, under truth. So, so there's that whole rearranging. He's going to bring you back. Let me say this. The lost person is not necessarily ever going to get there until they come to know Christ. And so you've got all this happening. I mean, there's a lot going on here in these verses. But here's what you need to understand. When it comes to fantasy, 
The lost mind invents ways to serve the flesh and meet the desires of the flesh. Did you know that? Think about this, y'all. The lost mind invents ways to serve the flesh and meet the desires of the flesh. So you know what they're doing? They invent sin, pornography, things like that. They start creating things that are away from God, things that are, they start creating sin. They, how many of you realize we live in a culture that's inventing sin as we speak? Continues to. Listen to this. The lost mind invents false gods, false religions, and false philosophies that are designed to showcase man's brilliance. Yet the inventions of the lost mind are empty of anything helpful or fulfilling, and they ultimately lead to destruction and death. How do we know that? Proverbs chapter 16. Actually, it's not on the screen, but here's what it says. There is a way that seems right to man. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the, the, that first part of this verse. There is a way that a man is willing to bet everything he has, there's a way that he thinks works. That's what that verse is saying. This verse is not written in the context of someone who's sitting there guessing. Well, I think this is right. No, this is a person who say, I'm willing to bet my whole life that this is true. That's what he's saying here. For there is a way that seems right to man, but in the, but in the end, the way is what? Death, destruction, ruin. There's a way. Think about it. There's a way that seems so right. There's a way in which I, I would be willing to bet my whole life on it. And yet the scripture says it's going to lead to death. Can man be fooled? Oh, yeah. We can be fooled. Next, a tragic life founded in the culture produces a blinded heart that leads to deception and unresponsiveness. Look at verse 18 again. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Some of your translations say because of the hardness of their heart. But here's what you need to understand about the two words. They can be interchangeable, but really what, what seems to be the context of what Paul is saying, he's saying there's a blinding before there's a hardening. But the two do go together. Now, what does all this mean? The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, always learning, this is speaking of the culture, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. They're always learning. They're always having all these things that are out there. They're buying into this, buying into that. And then they realize that they've done all that and they still haven't come to truth. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age is who? It's Satan, the enemy. He's blinded them who do not believe. Listen to this. A blinded heart leads to a hardened heart. A person with a calloused heart loses all sense of right and wrong. They lose all sense of it. What is wrong all of a sudden becomes what is right. And what is right becomes what is wrong. Think about it. In our culture, listen to that. I'll give you a simple illustration. In our culture, abortion is legal. Think about that. Abortion is legal. But the people who are proponents to choice also are leading the, correct, uh, the, 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 the whole idea that 
the, the animals need to have rights and their lives need to be protected. Many of the same people who are chiming in on the whole idea of choice are the ones raising these causes. Think about that. It's a choice that leads to the death of another human being. And the people were blinded. There's ignorance everywhere. There's illogical thought. And so what we're going to do is we're going to support choice. We're going to support the killing of, a, of an innocent human being in a mother's womb. We're going to support that. And many of the same group says, oh, that animal and listen, I'm all about animals. I, I had an animal, a dog that lived in my home for 13 years that I loved, that welcomed me every time I came to the door. I love it all. But man, we have lost perspective. How, do you, how does that happen? How do you get there? How do you? <laughs> it's illogical. It's deception. Next. A blinded heart leads to a hardened heart, which leads to not only deception, but also unresponsiveness. Meaning a person who has a blinded or hard heart is not open or responsive to truth, purity, or to things of God, which leads to, look on your outline, abandoned morality, which leads to insensitivity and bondage. Titus chapter one, well, look at verse 19 first of Ephesians chapter four. It says this, who being who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with a greediness. Now here's what's interesting about the terminology between Romans chapter one and what we find in this one verse. What we find here in this verse is the people giving themselves over to these things, okay? But over in Romans chapter one, it starts with the people giving themselves over to these things, but guess where it ends? God giving them over to these things. He's saying, you wanna go that way? Fine, go that way. You're a free choice. You have a hardened heart. You're unresponsive to anything that I bring your way. If that's your choice, go that way. It's a sad place to be. Titus chapter one says this, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Have you ever come across someone who seems creepy to you? I'm not talking about appearance. I mean, I think I'm creepy to some people. I, I, I understand that. Okay. I'm talking about they just are creepy. You ever been around creepy? I've been around creepy. I mean, well, I won't get into specifics, but anyway. You know what leads to creepiness? These are people who have defiled themselves in such a way that they've not only lost touch with reality, they've lost the sensitivity of proper behavior or conduct in society. They've really gone a long ways off the path. They've lost full reality. They've defiled themselves in such a way that they can't even function properly in society. You know that happens, don't you? That's way down the road of what we're talking about. When they get to this point of being creepy, they're in bondage to their defilement. In verses 17 through 19, Paul's describing the tragic life of someone who is ruled by their passions with the culture's applause and approval. 
How many of you notice that it, there are certain things that you can do that the, the culture will applaud you for and it still be wicked? The message. How many of you have heard the message? It's pretty neat. It's a paraphrase of God's word. Listen to what the message says about these verses we've just studied. Here's what it says. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain of conscience, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. That's a pretty good paraphrase of what we just read here. That's what it says. So it's God giving them over to their vile and evil passions. Paul is challenging us to a different kind of life, not founded in the culture, but founded in Christ. That's what he's challenging us with. That's, that's, the conversation is getting ready to change, okay? Look, on, look, on, uh, look at verse 20, the word but there. He's saying, this is where you were. This described your tragic life before you came to Christ. Hey, guys, now that you're in Christ, don't go back there. But here's what you need to do. And he gives us this. So in these verses, Paul is contrasting the tragic life founded and promoted and approved of by the culture, look on your outline, with the transformed life founded in Christ. Now, here's what you need to understand. When Jesus saved us, he changed us. Did you know that? He did. Matter of fact, if you proclaim that Jesus saved you, then, then you better also proclaim that he changed you or he didn't save you. <laughs> he made us like himself and delivered us from being like the world. Fulfilling the passions and desires of the flesh is no longer our creed or standard of living. Now, does that mean we'll never go back there? How many of you at times have gone back there? But let me tell you the difference. When we go back there, we're not satisfied by being back there. There's a longing to be back where God wants us to be. And if that longing's not there, something's amiss. We could be deceived about our salvation. Here, here's something interesting. The transformed life, look on your outline, learns differently, which leads to truth, which is, of course, Jesus. Look at verse 20 and 21. But you have not so learned Christ. He says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, let me tell you one way what Jesus said in John chapter 14. You know what he said? He said, I am the way. And then what did he say? I am the truth. The truth of God is Jesus. Okay? Jesus is truth. They can be used interchangeably because that's what he did. He said, I am the truth. The essence of truth is me. And so you see that. Now, the phrase learned Christ here in the text, what we just read, refers to being saved. How do we know this? Well, 1 John chapter 5 says this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. The word know there is experiential knowledge. It's intimate knowledge that we can know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. That This is the true God and eternal life. It leads to what the ending we want it to lead to, not to ruin and dest destruction. Now, look on your outline. The transformed life founded in Christ not only learns differently, but also lives differently, which is the whole idea leads to regeneration. Now, regeneration is this. 
A definition. It's the spiritual change brought about in a person's life by an act of God. The change namely occurs in the person's sin nature or in their nature. It's something that changes there. Okay? Now, look at verse 22. It says this. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Now, here's what's interesting about verse 22. When it says, which grows corrupt, listen, if we don't, if we don't put these things off, the growth of immorality, the growth of ignorant mindset, the growth of everything that he's mentioned previously in, in verses 7 through, 7 through 19, listen, it all grows. Deception grows in us. Ignorance grows in us. How we conduct ourselves towards evil grows in us. All that happens. He says, you got to put these things off. Now turn to Romans chapter 6. That'll be the last place I'll have you turn. Hold your place here. Turn to Romans chapter 6. The phrase put off is a picture of clothing. Okay? Paul is not saying, listen, clean your clothing, but take off your old clothing and put on the newness of Christ, the garment of Christ. How does this happen? Well, Paul gives us a picture of it in Romans chapter 6. Uh, yeah, chapter 6. I want you to look at verse 4. It says this. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Now, when it says baptism, it's talking about our identification. That's a term of identification, okay? Uh, we, we're identifying with him. We, 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 we went with him uh, through that, okay? So, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. That means something radically changes. That means even in us. There was a death and now there's a resurrection. Something that's new, that's never existed before. It's not cleaning up my old self. It's acknowledging that something new is happening in me. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, a new creation. Meaning something that's never existed before. But he goes farther. Verse 5, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That means this, that the potential of sin holding us in bondage, deceiving us, and, and all the things that come with sin, those things, because we are alive to Christ, because we are raised in his resurrection, we don't have to live there anymore. You see, we don't have to live in that deception anymore. With that, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin, from the bondage of that sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We live basically at saying according to him. Okay? And this whole idea of for him. Okay? Now, turn back to Rome, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We live differently when we die to self and are raised with and in Christ. Next, the transformed life found in Christ thinks differently, which leads to abundant living. Listen to this. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. Jesus said this. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. If you go back and study verses 17, 18, and 19 of Ephesians chapter 4, that is a commentary that he comes to steal, kill, and, and destroy. But here's a commentary on the latter verses. But I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Where does it start? How do we receive this abundant life? Look at chapter 4 of, of uh, Ephesians. Look at verse 23. It says this. 
and be, and, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, here's what we need to understand. Why does he say mind? The enemy pitches his attacks at our minds. Therefore, we must know how to protect our minds. How many of you agree with that? How many of you have noticed that almost every sin you've ever committed started right there in the old noodle? I mean, it did. From when sin originally came into the garden, where did the enemy pitch the argument? To the mind. That's where it all starts. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How do you do that? By the renewing of your mind. Something's gotta take place in the mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Here's what you need to understand. The Holy Spirit, through the word of God, through the submission of the believer, changes the thought life of the believer. So where does it start? Holy Spirit brings in the word of God, I submit to that word through what the Spirit is saying to me, and guess what happens from there? Changes happen in my life. Next, the transformed life found in Christ manifests differently. It leads to new creation, or leads to a new creation. Look at verse 24. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, God's intentions, in true righteousness and holiness. Now, let's do a comparison between verse 22 and verse 24. This is not on your outline. Verse 22 is talking about the old man. Verse 24 is talking about the new man. Verse 22 is talking about responding to the, uh, response to the old nature. That's what happens. Verse 24 is talking about responds to Christ. Verse 22 says, focuses on fleshly desires. Verse 24 says, focuses on righteousness and holiness. Verse 22 is based on deceit. Where verse 24 is based on truth. Now here's what all this means. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I alluded to this a while ago. Therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ. Coming to Christ on his terms. Coming to Christ through repentance. Acknowledging what the world and the culture offers and saying, no thanks. I want what's in Christ. That's what this is. And you're going to make a He is a new creation. Something's never existed before. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How do we change the garments of the tragic life for the garments of the transformed life? It begins with accepting the change. How did the change originate? Through salvation. It's got to start with salvation. It's got to come. It's got to start with coming to Christ on his terms through repentance, by faith. Then, by taking off the old and putting on the new is, is speaking of repentance. Now, let me give you an example. Let's just say that this coat here represents my old life, okay? Sorry about the, I think I'm pitting up up here. I'm sorry about that, but anyway, I'll try to cover that up. Anyway, this is my old life. This is the tragic life. This is where I was headed, okay? This, this describes me. Conformed living, which was leading to emptiness. Darkened understanding, which I was perplexed by. Alienated existence. It led to spiritual death. I was not only alienated from God, but I found that I was alienated from the people I loved the most. I rationalized stupidity. I was began to live in a fantasy world. I started losing the reality of who I was and who Christ was. There was a blinded heart which led to my deception and unresponsiveness and then abandoned morality. All of a sudden, I just let myself go to what my passions wanted. It created insensitivity in me. I had no conscience anymore. 
Those things were against me. It led to bondage. Here's what you need to understand. When you come to Christ, listen, let me just say this. Stop right here. It's not a matter of cleaning this up. You see what I'm saying? Some people, I think they view salvation as, I'm just going to take it off and send it to the dry cleaner. No, it's not that. You don't take what was already old and clean it up. What do you do? You take it off, okay, and and you get rid of it. And then what you do is you come over here and, and you take what he offers, founded in Christ, my transformed life, and you put it on. It's something completely different. It's a new you. It's what you're wearing now. I'm wearing now the transformed life. I learn differently. Everything that I'm learning leads to truth. I I live differently. Regeneration is taking place. There's changes happening. I'm thinking differently. It leads to abundant living. And there's that manifest differently. I'm a new creation. I'm not cleaning up the old. I'm putting on the new. Putting on the new. Let me just say this. You don't have a strong enough willpower to clean up the old. You never will. The only way you live this life is you're literally, let me tell you what the coat really is. You're putting on Christ. You're putting on his nature. You're putting on his truth. You're putting him on. So here's the application. Are we living in the reality of a transformed life founded in Christ? Does our life reveal that we are for Christ? Y'all, when I put this on and I'm in Christ, it will represent, listen, that I am for Christ, that there's a transformation that's taking place. Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for your love and your goodness. And, and Father, we thank you that you delivered us from the path of a tragic life that was founded in the culture. And Father, you're offering a new life, not a cleaned up old life, a new life, a new life that's founded in Christ. And Father, if there's someone here today that's never come to you, uh, they've never come to you on your terms, they've never said, I want to be in Christ. I want to repent of my sins. I want to turn my life over to Christ, my Savior, my Lord. I'm tired of living in deception. I'm tired of living in the old ways that lead to emptiness, that, that lead to alienation. Father, help me to, to wrap myself in your son, to take on the provision that he's purchased for me, the death, burial, and resurrection. And Father, I just thank you for the fact, Lord, that you want to change lives. Father, I pray for the Christian that may be here today. And maybe they've done that. Maybe they've, they took off the old and they put on the new, but they, they have that desire sometimes to go back to that old. Father, help them to realize that the only way they can conquer that is to crucify that thought, to crucify that deception, to crucify those behaviors, those reactions, those actions, and to find their life truly in you once again. Father, I just pray you have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Myself and